Welcome back to the podcast. We're taking some time to look at the letter of 1 Timothy over the next few months. This letter reminds us what the church is meant to be, so I hope you find it helpful. One Timothy chapter five, verses seventeen to twenty-five. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, "Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain," and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. For those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you, in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favouritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. This evening, I want us to be thinking about how should a church treat its leaders? How should a church treat its leaders? We've seen, haven't we, in 1 Timothy, that leaders are vital to the life of a church. Good, faithful leaders to manage God's household. But how should a church treat them? Now, there are two mantras I've heard in my short time. Uh, Two mantras I've heard that describe the extremes. Perhaps you've heard these mantras too. Uh, The first one is this. God will keep our pastor humble and we will keep him poor. Have you heard that one before? The idea being that church leaders, they should be servants, rightly so. It flows from the desire to enable dependence, to enable humility on the pastor's part. But it leaves the leader to be worried about where the money is coming from, and frankly, unhappy in their job role. That's one extreme, here's the other. The other one I've heard on the other end of the spectrum is, we heard it this morning actually, do not touch the Lord's anointed. The idea here being that we should respect the leaders of the church, that you should never rebuke, you should never critique someone in a pastoral position. I mean, there's a desire there, isn't there, to respect the leader, uh, to sit humbly under God's words that comes through him. Yeah, I've seen this one abused too, with leaders and church members being left in the wake. What does Paul say to that? Well, here in 1 Timothy 5, Paul wants to train Timothy in how to look after church leaders. And as Timothy does this, the church is going to learn and it's going to flow through the whole congregation. The church is to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth and how people conduct themselves in God's household matters. So how should those in God's household, love their leaders. What is the training here that Paul wants Timothy to work through? Well, the answer is to honour the faithful and rebuke the unfaithful. 
Honour the faithful and rebuke the unfaithful. Let's take a look, shall we? Paul starts by saying to honour the faithful. Have a look down at verses 17 and 18 with me. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. <clears throat> Paul is recalling language here back from chapter 3, where he spoke about overseers. And here he's using the language of elders. See, they're interchangeable, they're the same people. And he says that those who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour. Now that phrase there, directing the affairs of the church, it's the same phrase as managing a household back in chapter 3. Those who do a good job of managing God's household. Especially, or if we're more precise here, more precisely, namely, those who preach and teach. Do you remember back in chapter 3, Paul said that leaders lead through the word, through teaching the word. That's how leaders lead in the church. They're to be studious. They're to be able to teach. They are the ones who direct the affairs of the church. And here, those who do that job well, well, they should be honoured by the church. But what does that mean? What does honour mean? Well, if you remember the widows last time, we're called to honour the widows. It meant being part of the family, being treated as a member of the family. I think that there makes all the difference, actually. As I've been thinking over that this week, this is massive. See, the leader is not above the family. The church leader is not above a family. He's not outside a family. The church leader is in the family. How we treat our own families is how the church should function. See, too often, church leadership, it's seen as a CEO thing. I mean, if you read books on church leadership, there's a lot of stuff that sounds very business-like, very CEO-like. And most of the time, they don't mention family. In fact, if Paul was to write a book on leaders in the church, I reckon the family picture would be what he'd go for. Paul says, treat people as family. But what does he mean by double honour? What does that mean? Double treated as family? Really treated as family? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, to be given double is to give someone what they deserve. It's, it's like for like. It's two sides of a stamp. So if a leader, for example, gives up their time, well, compensate them for that time. If they give up the ability to work, well, compensate that somehow. If a leader shows love, well, show love in return. It shouldn't be a one-sided thing. Double honour. And Paul illustrates that there in verse 18. Paul does what I would never do. He compares an elder to an ox. So much for love, eh? <laughs> I guess he's the inspired one who's able to do that. He turns to Deuteronomy, just as we're going to do in our growth groups in the next few weeks. And he takes the example of the ox from here. See, the ox, as it's treading out the grain, as it's being used by the people, it's not to be muzzled. It's not to have its mouth covered. Instead... It's meant to be allowed to munch as it goes around. It's to be cared for. It's allowed to eat its share as it does the work. Do you see the principle here? The ox is working for your good, so let it have its good too. In fact, diving a little bit deeper into this part of Deuteronomy is really interesting because it's a section that is dedicated to the family. That is really striking about 1 Timothy, isn't it? For Paul to go to this bit of Deuteronomy that talks about the family to talk about God's family 
It comes from a section of Deuteronomy that's concerned with the family functioning well. And the blessing of the family even extends down to those who work for the family. It even extends down to the ox. And Paul says, same there, same here. And then he quotes from Luke's gospel. He quotes from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. The one who preaches the good news deserves his wages. Now, Paul, we know, travelled with Luke. He might have picked this up from him. Perhaps he had a pre-released copy of the gospel. Whatever way it works, Paul is quoting the New Testament here as scripture. Do you see that? This is what God intends for the elders. He intends the elders to be honoured, to be paid back for what they do, to be cared for, to be loved by their congregations. God will keep our pastor humble and we'll keep him poor. Just doesn't work, does it? Instead, Paul says, elders are worthy of double honour. Just think what that looks like to the world around outside. Remember, what goes on inside a church affects the outside. That's Paul's big argument in 1 Timothy. If a church is to pride itself on the teaching of the word, yet it doesn't care for the people who primarily do that teaching of the word, what is that saying to the world outside? Or if a leader of a church has to continually turn down spending time with non-believers due to money issues, what impression is that going to give to the outside world? You see, the way that we do things on the inside says something to the people outside. So honour your leaders. So it's really important, isn't it, to get the other side. Because loving leaders doesn't mean letting the leaders of a church get away with anything. That's where Paul turns to next. The second thing to see this evening is to rebuke the unfaithful. Have a look down at verses 19 to 21. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favouritism. See, there are times, aren't there, when an accusation is going to be brought against an elder. It is sad, but it is true. See, that moment when someone becomes an elder isn't the moment they become sinless. So Paul wants to train Timothy in what to do in that situation. Now, just notice it doesn't say sweep it under the carpet. Notice he's not saying keep it quiet. Don't hide it away. It's very much not saying don't touch the Lord's anointed. But Paul does say not to entertain an accusation unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Guess where Paul's turning for that one? Same section of Deuteronomy. Paul again turns to Deuteronomy, the bit about the family, once again. The section, the same section as before, in fact. The section of Deuteronomy that is talking about how to live God's way in the land. In the land, as they demonstrate what it is like to be God's people. Do you remember Paul has been saying all the way through this letter how the church is God putting his plan on display for the world? Kind of makes sense then, doesn't it? So Paul says that accusations should be brought by two or three witnesses. See, in the regular preaching of the word, there may be times when there are difficult conversations to be had. There might be times when people fall out because of what is said. This is protecting against that. In fact, to get this wrong is once again going to affect the witness of the church. If the church is fighting on the inside, well, it won't be able to reach the outside. 
If a rumour about a leader is taking up everyone's attention, well, there's not going to be any room for anything else, is there? If the insides are not listening to the faithful leader for whatever reason, well, it's not going to get outside, is it? But that definitely doesn't mean that the elder is always in the right. In fact, we know in Ephesus, there are, le- there are elders there who are sinning. And that may be the same of any church. And so Paul tells Timothy that those elders, they're to be reproved. They're to be called out before everyone. It shouldn't be hushed up. See, it says something, doesn't it, when that happens? It shows that the church is taking itself seriously. It sends a message to the other elders, verse 21, so that they can take warning too. In fact, this is very similar to what was said back in chapter 3. And Paul underlines that in verse 21. He gives Timothy a charge. He calls three witnesses. And he uses legal language. He, he knows this is going to be a difficult thing to do. It's really easy to become partial, isn't it? To defend others. It's easy to show favouritism, either to the elder themselves or to the person who's accusing them. See, it really matters how the issue is dealt with. It matters for those inside the church and therefore matters for those outside the church. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to be impartial. We need God's help to do that. We need to know that God is watching. God himself is impartial and God himself will judge. And again, in that same section of Deuteronomy, those in that land, they're meant to live that way. Do not pervert justice or show partiality, God says. It's how God shows his plan to the world around. The standard in the church is not public opinion. The standard is God's opinion. Again, just think what that looks like to the world outside. Uh, The leader of the church who's publicly been caught in some scandal and the church just covers it up or does nothing about it. So the outside world, they're right to say, you hypocrites. It's going to affect the church's witness to the world out there, isn't it? In fact, even if the church down there does something wrong, it affects Christians' witness in the town generally. And all that means, Timothy is going to need to be discerning. That is the last bit of this passage this evening, verses 22 to 25. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever see in light of everything that Paul's just said Timothy needs to be trained to be discerning it's not always obvious what is right and what is wrong it's not always going to be a simple task there will need to be discernment in the life of church verse 22 don't be hasty in the laying on of hands I came into this thinking that's talking about making elders don't rush to make elders And I think that's a good thing, isn't it? It'd be totally inappropriate for Timothy now to rush to replace the bad elders with other elders who we don't know much about. Actually, this phrase, it tends to be used in the Bible for committing someone to something, either committing them to a blessing or committing them to punishment. In fact, same section of Deuteronomy again, the people who are to lay their hands on the person, they're to lay their hands on the guilty person before they commit them. To destruction. Either way, whichever way we take this line, Paul is training Timothy to be discerning. Do not rush in what you're going to do. Do not react in a moment 
Take things slowly. Do them right. I think a lot of mistakes in church leadership, they come from rash decisions, from simply rushing, from reacting rather than carefully deliberating. Do not share in the sins of others. Don't get tangled up. Think hard about what you do. Don't just go along with what everyone's saying. Think hard about what you're doing. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself 100% living for God. Verse 23 is a bit weird, isn't it? What's that doing there? In fact, other Bibles put it in brackets. So if they put it in brackets, it means, we don't know what this is doing here. It might seem out of place, but I think it actually makes sense. I think it fits perfectly with what Paul's saying here. If you remember back to the requirements for church leaders, they're not to be given to drunkenness. But what does Paul say here? Well, he says to Timothy, use a little wine. He's saying, find the line. Don't be drunk, but also don't get ill. Also known as be discerning. But why? Why be discerning? Well, because the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So it matters in here and it matters throughout there. And because, verses 24 and 25, it's not going to be easy. Some sins are obvious, Paul says. I mean, there's a simple list back in chapter 3 of things that shouldn't be happening. But also, the sins of others trail behind them. Bad leadership, it, it leaves bodies in its wake, doesn't it? In fact, that is the case of what's going on in Ephesus, as families have been destroyed, as he started this letter off. See, the way that we live, it shows what we believe. That's been the same throughout 1 Timothy. The leaders who've devoted themselves to myths and to endless genealogies, they're leaving people in a mess. And they themselves have suffered shipwreck. Or as we said back at the start of 1 Timothy, they put rubbish in, they get rubbish out. See, it really matters. It matters what the leaders are doing for the congregation and for the leaders themselves. And Paul's letter here is written to help Timothy spot that, to spot the error that's going to end badly to spot the error that's going to lead to destruction. In comparison, verse 25, a good character will always shine through, even if the good done is quiet, unnoticed, behind the scenes. It doesn't remain hidden forever. It is seen in the long run, in the faithful, consistent lives of those people. The way that we live shows what we believe. So Paul's training Timothy to train the church we're reading this letter what does he want us to do he wants us to be discerning he wants us to wait to look to see because it's worth it for the sake of the church and for the sake of everyone involved it's the loving thing to do it's the way you love the leaders of a church and so the application is love your leaders appropriately we saw back in chapter 3 that we need the right kind of leaders. It's important for us here and it's important for them out there. And we've seen that the church is God's household. It's a family. The church should be a family. And so putting this into practice on the ground, well, it means loving the leaders. It means honouring them, treating them as family, giving them their due, repaying them for their work, payment in kind for what they give. But loving them also involves rebuking them where it's needed helping them correct course, seeing where things are going, pointing the leaders back to the word of truth. Because it's the church that is always the pillar and foundation of the truth. And everything the church does should be for that purpose, including loving leaders. 
And that love, it's always been pointing forwards to the final days. You see, love is the goal. And so we want to help everyone get there. And everyone getting there means everyone, including the leaders. So loving them and encouraging them where they do a good job, rebuking and correcting them where they need it. Both things that you do in a loving family, aren't they? Both those things happen in a normal family. Both of those things will help leaders make it to the finish line as well. So I ask you, please do hear this passage for my sake, for the other leaders in this church. I want to say thank you so much for the way you do show me and my family love. But please, please do keep an eye on me. I'm sure Sam Roberts would agree with that. Please keep an eye on me for my own sake. And as a church, let's aim to do this well, shall we? Let's not fall into those two mantras that I started with. Let's stay on the path. Let's not fall off into either side of the ditch. Let's be a family that loves and cares for everyone in it. Let's help one another get to the finish line because we're going to need each other's help to make it to the end. Faithful. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope it was helpful. Any comments or questions can be sent to the podcast email podcast at david-couch.com. I'll see you next week.